Welcome to the Know and Love Podcast, where we discuss how to interpret the scriptures for everyday life in order to grow in our devotion to God and His Word. We are your hosts, Adam and Rachel Pereira, and we are so glad that you joined us today. Well, welcome to episode 11 of the Know and Love podcast, and we are finishing up today our look at the covenants. We're looking at covenant number six in the Bible, uh, the new covenant. It kind of feels like we're um, getting to the end of a movie or something, kind of the big culmination of the of the story. You know, when you get to the end of a, a movie and things kind of start getting tied up and you think, oh, I remember that from the beginning. That's what happened there. I feel like we're at that point in the story. Yeah, it's the the, the greatest and the culmination of all the, the covenants that we've looked at. And we are uh, looking at that new covenant today. Yeah, and we're going to kind of jump right in by starting um, to talk about why this covenant is important. We're going to kind of talk about the importance of it before we dive into the details of it. So why would we say that this covenant is uh, so important? And let's start by giving it its tagline that we've done with all of the other covenants. Yeah, we're going to call the new covenant the fulfillment of redemption, that uh, we're going to see here the fulfillment of all the other covenants, of everything that the other covenants were pointing to. It's going to find the the culmination, the fulfillment in this new covenant. Do we have a passage in scripture that we're kind of going to be focusing on today? Some of these others, we've turned to a place where we, where we kind of ground ourselves. Yeah, we're going to be looking specifically in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, uh, we're going to see the description there of the new covenant in that passage. Uh, but before we we even uh, hone in on, on that passage, uh, we want to describe different ways that the Old Testament speaks about this new covenant. Right. Yeah, the first way that we read of is that it's called the covenant of peace. We read about that in um, the book of Isaiah. Um, We read in Isaiah 54, it says, this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So there we remember, if if you've been listening to all these episodes, Noah (laughs) should pop out to you as one of those covenants. So I have sworn that I may not be angry with you and will not rebuke you, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And here's that phrase, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. That's right. It's, it's the covenant uh, that, that brings that ultimate peace that God's people have, have been looking for ever since the curse of sin that's entered into this world, um, the undoing of, of the beauty and goodness um, of God's creation that, uh, that Adam and Eve allowed into this world. It's also called uh, in the Old Testament, the everlasting covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of its, its eternal duration, that this is a covenant that does not end. You remember we talked about the Mosaic covenant, uh, the covenant God made with Israel as a nation, and and man, that thing was destined to end. It was only serving uh, a function for a specific amount of time because the people just simply could not keep that Mosaic covenant. <laughs> they kind of had failed before it even started, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> Isaiah fifty-five and verse three, just one chapter later from the the passage you just read, uh, it says, In, uh, "Incline your ear," God says, "and come to me." Here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So here again, we see kind of the the connectivity uh, of these covenants that here he's referring to this everlasting covenant, this new everlasting covenant that God was going to make. And, and he refers to the example of the Davidic covenant where God um, shows his love to David and says, there will be an eternal ruler that will always be on the throne from your 
um, from your children. Yeah, and just in case you don't uh, believe that these are <laughs> called both of these terms, the uh, eternal covenant and the covenant of peace, Ezekiel 37, 26 uh, says this, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I'll stop right there. But there you've got both of those terms kind of renaming the new covenant, the, the covenant of peace and the eternal covenant. Yeah, so all of that just to say, we often think of the new covenant uh, in terms of Jeremiah 31, which is very good and very true, uh, just that covenant being referred to as the new covenant, but just understanding that uh, it's referred to in various ways in the Old Testament, uh, and here we see the instances of co- a covenant of peace and an everlasting covenant. And uh, the new covenant, it's echoed throughout the prophets when you read the prophets, Uh, both what we would call the major prophets and the minor prophets. Um, And uh, it is a promise of hope for the people of God that amidst the the, the desperation, I don't know what that word was I was trying to say, desperation, amidst the desperation of sin, of, of national rebellion of God's people, the end was not yet written. God says, I am going to do something new. He says that over and over again in Isaiah, um, that God was going to make a new and a better covenant that would be uh, everlasting. This covenant is interesting to me because... I see it as just being a little bit different from all the others in the sense that uh, except for um, the Davidic covenant, like we talked about last time, we we mentioned how there were little glimpses earlier in scripture of this king that was coming, but really all the other five uh, really only came on the scene at the point that God was making the covenant with that person or that group of people. Um, this to me is interesting because it was prophesied about, and it was something that the people were uh, looking forward to for for quite a while, waiting for the arrival of this new thing that God was going to do. It just kind of sets it apart from how the others seem to play out. Yeah, the others, you know, God God gives the covenant. And, and even with David, God actually makes the covenant with David. And there's, of course, that long-lasting expectation. Mm-hmm. And, and this covenant, it, it is different. It's that, hey, things are really bad right now, but I'm going to be making a covenant with you. Uh, and this covenant will be everlasting. So when you described this covenant at the beginning, you said we're looking at this as the fulfillment of all of the other covenants. Um, Let's touch on that real quick and talk about how we see it fulfilling all those other five we've talked about. Yeah, and this will be a good review uh, with all the other covenants we've talked about. Uh, But we started with the creation covenant. And in that covenant with with creation, in that covenant that God makes with, with, uh, with Adam... We, we, we see the themes of, of an obedient image bearer. Uh, we see the theme, the universal scope of God's glory, that God's glory was to, um, was to spread across God's creation as these image bearers were being multiplied. Uh, we, we, we see the theme of a perfect paradise where God's blessings would flow. Um, so all of those themes that are are, are put in motion in this creation covenant are going to find ultimate fulfillment in this new creation in specific or in this new covenant and mm-hmm. specifically um, through Christ. So Christ was the perfect image bearer. He is the one who brings about the universal scope of God's glory. Um, he is the one that's bringing about this perfect paradise where God's blessings flow. Uh, all of that just from that first covenant. Right. And, and then the, oh, the covenant God makes with Noah, um, that God says, we talked about that canvas of redemption, that redemption is going to play itself out. God will not universally destroy the world until redemption has played itself out. And in the new covenant, we see that redemption does um, reach its high point, its culmination. It finally um, happens. Yes. <laughs> and, and we get to the Abrahamic covenant where you remember uh, God promises seed, he promises land, he promises universal blessing. 
And all of those are fulfilled in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, The seed promise is fulfilled in Christ. He is the seed that comes that is going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, The land promise is fulfilled in Christ, that because of Christ's death and resurrection, he has brought about a new creation. Uh, That new creation is both a people and one day a place, the new heavens and new earth. And through Christ, he's bringing about that universal blessing that's that's promised, uh, that was promised to Abraham. So uh, we see the new covenant um, uh, brings to fulfillment the promises that was given to Abraham. When God made the covenant with Moses, which is the next one we, we talked about in the line of them, we talked about um, Israel being uh, called as God's son. Of course, the law was given with the Mosaic covenant, and uh, even Moses standing in that role of being a mediator um, between Israel and God. And and I think that very clearly, you can see how that's fulfilled in the new covenant, Jesus being that that perfect son. Uh, we talked just a few minutes ago about how the Mosaic covenant seemed almost kind of doomed from the start. There was no way that people were going to be able to um, keep this up. And Jesus perfectly uh, fulfilled that. Jesus perfectly fulfills the law and also the law points us to Christ himself. And then of course, uh, Jesus being that that mediator on our behalf now. So that that's another one that's just really awesome how it's fulfilled. That's right. That's right. And then we get to the Davidic covenant where God promises that um, there would be uh, one of David's descendants that would that would eternally be sitting on the throne. And and who is that ultimate descendant of David? It's Jesus. Right. Jesus mm-hmm. is a new David who would perfectly lead his people in obedience and faith. The, king, the, the kings of, of Israel were to uh, both represent the people and lead them in the ways of God. As the, like we talked about, as the king went, so did the nation mm-hmm. go. And here we have Jesus, who's the perfect king, who leads his people in obedience and faith. He's a faithful shepherd, king, and priest, over his people. In fact, um, in Ezekiel uh, and through the prophets, it continually says that David is going to be established. And it's not talking about David who who died and and you know is is in heaven. It's talking about the new David, mm-hmm. Jesus, who would lead his people, who would be the faithful shepherd over his people. So all of the covenants find their fulfillment in the new covenant because they are all pointing to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And and hopefully that served as a little review for you because now we're going to jump into actually talking about what is the new covenant. Let's describe it a little bit and talk about uh, the nature of it, where we find it in scripture, get a little more details on it. Yeah. And and before we even jump into Jeremiah 31, uh, talking about the new covenant and we're not going to get into all the nitty-gritty details, but there's even some uh, discussion about, well, how new is the new covenant? Mm-hmm. Is the new covenant simply kind of a continuation of, of all of the other covenants? It's just a little bit better, or is there something that's really different about this new covenant? And, and we've talked about um, going through the other covenants that there are many um, points of continuation where the new covenant brings uh, fulfillment to what all of the other covenants are pointing to. But we have to understand that the new covenant, it's not simply new in the sense of kind of a renewal of the previous covenants, or it's just kind of a simple continuation of what all the other covenants were doing. Um, the new covenant, it's, it's fundamentally, at its core, it's different than any of the other covenants uh, because it is, it is an internal covenant, a covenant where God promises to internally change the recipients of the covenant. Um, so the new covenant is fundamentally different than all of the other covenants. While there's points of connection that all of these covenants find their fulfillment in the new covenant, it is, it's new in the sense of this is something that, that is fundamentally new. It's not just 
kind of a heightened sense of, of all of the other covenants. Right. You could say that fundamental difference is the difference of, of the heart. Something is going to be happening in the heart that has not happened before. Yep. Uh, in fact, we see this. We're going to now read in Jeremiah 31, and we're going to see there's a fundamental newness to the new covenant. Um, in, uh, in verse 31, Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make, and here's that term, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And we have to get verse 32. He says, it's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So that's specifically referring to the old covenant, Mm -hmm. the Mosaic covenant. And there is a fundamental newness um, uh, of the new covenant when compared to that old covenant that was broken. Yeah, and I think if you continue reading in that passage to verse 33, you see one of the first significant things that is different than the old covenant. Verse 33 says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So uh, that new heart is something that has not happened before in any of these other covenants. Yeah, and, and, and a, a universal new heart mm-hmm. that, that, boy, every member of this uh, new covenant community um, has something internal uh, at play here that, that the law is now written on their hearts. Which is going to make that covenant able to be an eternal covenant, like we, like we talked about at the beginning, because it's going to be um, totally replacing the heart and God is upholding it by giving them a new heart. It's going to be able to be eternal as opposed to the yeah. others where the, where the human beings failed at it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we, we kind of see a, an even uh, greater description in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27 about this new heart and, and what's involved here. Um, here, Ezekiel says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So here, the, uh, the new heart that is given is, is, is a result of, of, of the, the new spirit, uh, of God's spirit being put within them. Uh, and, and this this softened heart of flesh, and and God is no longer simply uh, through the commandments, through the law, saying obey my statutes and my rules. No, it's that that new heart and the spirit at work within these people that they are caused to walk. God is doing the work that they would obey his statutes, and his rules. Paul brings up that same idea in 2 Corinthians. He says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered to us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Again, kind of the same idea, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's right. That's right. And and we're going to talk about this later, but of course, 2 Corinthians, that's a New Testament passage, and he's referring to... Um, to the church in Corinth. And and my goodness, the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. But um, in verse 6 of that passage, uh, Paul says, we are ministers of the new covenant. So we see that that the new covenant here even uh, being uh, brought to uh, to, to the churches Mm -hmm. composed of of Jews and Gentiles, which we'll talk about later. Uh, But that that quality, uh, that internal quality of the law being within them, it, it brings about kind of the fulfillment of that relational promise that's echoed throughout the Bible um, that's stated in verse 33, I will be their God and they shall be mm-hmm. my people. Finally, mm-hmm. um, through this internal work of God, um, that relationship is, is permanent and it is settled that I will be their 
God and and they will be my people. That that language of the covenants. Exactly. Exactly. So we're touching on how this covenant is new or fundamentally different from the others. Um, new heart is a huge one. Uh, would you say there's anything else that sets it apart from the others? Yeah, I think if we just keep reading and go to verse 34, it says, and no longer, again, there's the that's kind of the language of something new's yes. happen, happening. Mm-hmm. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. So I I think I think to understand what's what uh is being written here in verse 34 we have to compare it with the old covenant that in the old covenant all of Israel was a part of the covenant community if you were born an Israelite uh and, and you were circumcised on that eighth day uh and even foreigners that became a part of the nation if you were uh if you were born into Israel, you were a part of that covenant community. Uh, whether you had uh, placed faith in the promises of God and and wanted to follow God or not, right? It was something that was more of a, a community led thing as opposed to an, an individual thing at that point, right? As far yeah, being a part of this this uh, this covenant community, and it's talking here in verse thirty four about. Uh, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother. And, and we know in the Old Covenant that that uh, knowledge of God, of, of God's character, of, of that personal knowledge of God, it was mediated in the Old Covenant through Israel's leaders. So you think of, of um, Israel at Mount Sinai. And, and who was it that God spoke to? God spoke to... Moses. It was Moses. Right. And then Moses delivered God's words to the people because the people were frightened. They were afraid. And, uh, and then throughout Israel's history, the prophets would, would declare to them to, that they needed to, to truly turn to God, to know him. Um, the priests were to instruct the people. Even uh, Israel's kings were to be examples of what it means to truly know God, to love him, to follow him. And go ahead. Oh, no. So I was just going to say, so it was secondhand in, this, in the sense that their understanding of God, what he was doing, was given to them through somebody else. Um, and even though they were a part of that community, from birth or, like you mentioned, from a foreign country through circumcision, um, there there was, though, still that, that individual choice of whether they wanted to accept the God of Israel as their own personal God, but yet it was um, that, that information was kind of um, given to them through somebody else. It wasn't like it, we would see in the New Covenant. Right, well, where we, we see... That there was there was this rift mm-hmm. between God and the people, and there would be spiritual leaders that would come in between this rift to represent God to the right. people, and this is what it means to know God mm-hmm. relationally. Uh, and the new covenant, it's different, like it says here in verse thirty-four, that there isn't kind of this this external explanation of what it means to know God, uh, but everyone that's a part of this new covenant, that's a recipient of the new covenant, they shall all know me. Doesn't matter how important you are or how unimportant you are from the least to the greatest. Um, and and what, we, what we see here is that, that only those who are genuinely converted, who are truly believers, are a part of the new covenant. Right, and that's because the those who have been truly um, saved have the Spirit in them, right? They have a, a new regenerate heart that gives them that knowledge of God personally, individually, without that mediating person. Yeah, it's very similar to what 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20 and 27 says. Um, John writes, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you... All have knowledge. Here, uh, John specifically um, here 
kind of referring to to the content of, of what we just read in Jeremiah 31. And he says, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, I don't, I don't want to get us off topic there, but could somebody read that and say, well, see, then there's no need for pastors or teachers or any help. I, it, it can be just me and God's word and the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah, I think that, that uh, people can, can take that to say, well, you know, I don't need any, any outside instruction. Um, I'm, I'm good to go. I really like uh, uh, Tom Schreiner's quotation in the book uh, when we started looking at the covenants that we recommended. Um, and the title of it has just slipped my mind. Um, I think it's... It has it is the name Covenant in there. Covenant somewhere. and God's purpose for the world. That's right. Um, and, and he says this, the anointing here refers to the work of God's spirit in giving them life so that they have genuine knowledge of God. Believers don't need anyone to teach them about receiving new life, for they have already been anointed by the Spirit and are converted members of the New Covenant community. So here what we're talking about is knowing God in a saving sense, in that relational sense. Now, we need teaching. We need instruction. Uh, the, the rest of the New Testament talks about we, we need one another speaking into our lives to urge us to continue in the faith, to exhort us to, uh, to continue to, to follow him, uh, that, that, that we have that mutual accountability there. But, but the, the Spirit has been given to us, and, and we have that intimate knowledge relational knowledge of God that is found in a relationship with with Christ. Yeah, I like that phrase relational knowledge. There there is that <clears throat> that internal kind of confidence that you are a part of this new covenant community. Right, and, and the Holy Spirit, he is our instructor who is pointing us to his son and the sufficiency of his son. Um uh, and, and in that sense, uh, we truly have a relationship with God through Christ. We know him. In fact, we even see, see that in John chapter 6. And um, Jesus in this passage, in the end of John 6, is, is telling the people, he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And the people are confused by this. And Jesus even responds and says, do not grumble among yourselves. And in verse 44, it's interesting. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And here he says, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to to me. So, um, so there in, in, in John 6, 45, he's actually quoting from Isaiah 54, 13, uh, that says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. So, um, God through the Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself. They're hearing the truth of the gospel and they come to accept the gospel and they are the ones who have truly been taught by God, those who come, who the Spirit gives life to, and accept uh, the message of the gospel. So it's in that sense that we have been taught by God, that we have, we have accepted truth, we have accepted God's truth, it's been internalized into our heart, and we are truly his children. And, and that was a mixed bag under the old mm -hmm. covenant. Some right. people... If we use New Testament terms, uh, there were people within the nation of Israel who were saved and those who were unsaved, those who had regenerate hearts, those who did not. Uh, but it was mixed. But in this new covenant, only those who have truly been renewed in the heart, who've been given that that heart of flesh, are are members of this new covenant. And and no one has to teach them what it means to know God because they have come 
to a saving knowledge of him. So in 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 that understanding then you would say that this promise this new covenant would be all inclusive because it's different in that sense from the uh, Mosaic covenant where like you said some would individually be following God that were a, par- a part of that community and some wouldn't. In this case the new covenant is everyone who's been given that new heart. So it's yes. all inclusive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you want to do the 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 final but go, jumping back to Jeremiah, we looked yeah. at some other yeah, passage, sure. kind of that final aspect of of newness in the new covenant mm-hmm. compared to the old covenant. Yeah, this is the end of verse uh, thirty four. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think where you dro- you stopped off. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And here's the rest. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So I think we could say uh, the other major factor of this new covenant is the complete uh, removal of sins versus what we saw in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Yeah. The Old Testament sacrificial system, it was good in that it provided a way of access to, 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 um, to God. Um, but it, the, the, the Old Testament sacrificial system, it could not remove sin. It, it, it couldn't do that complete work. Um, so the Old Testament sacrificial system was good in that it provided a way of access to God, but it was, it was lacking in that it couldn't remove sin. It, it was inadequate. Right. I think a good uh, place to see that is actually another one of those New Testament passages, kind of like we uh, mentioned in 1 Corinthians, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, um, verses 1 through 4, kind of uh, touches on this. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder um, every... Oops, I lost my spot. There is a reminder of the sins every year, uh, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we see that there was something um, that the original law couldn't do pointing us to the need for Christ. Yeah, and, and, and later on in that same passage in <clears throat> verses 11 to 13, uh, it says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So going right back to Jeremiah 31, 34, the complete forgiveness, removal of sins. Um, and, and, and the author of Hebrews contrasts there, the priests, they were never done. They were always standing but Jesus, he offers the, himself as a one-time sacrifice, and now what? He's sitting at the right hand of God. It is finished. That's one of my favorite passages of all time. Every time I yeah. read it, it just yep. uh, the author of Hebrews wrote that in such a way to to just give me such a word picture in my mind of this yeah. of this priest who's just slaving and working and you know exhausted and dirty. From all this work all day, and it's kind of like a mother, right? From, <laughs> from sun up to sun sundown. Yeah, maybe a that's why work it, is never done. Yeah, that's why it, it <laughs> speaks to me so strongly. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so uh, now it's time for my favorite question that I ask you every week, um, and my question is: um, Who is this covenant? between. We've talked about um, all these others have been between God and different individuals, God and Israel um, as a nation. Who would you say this new covenant is, uh, who is it between? (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 says that it is between the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I'm no longer in Jeremiah to to know exactly... uh, how it puts it, but it definitely says there, um, 
Behold, the days are coming. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So we see um, the specific reference there to Israel and Judah. And uh, we read later in the New Testament that this new covenant, it was inaugurated or it was started, it was put in place uh, with Christ's death and resurrection. In Luke 22 and verse 20, Jesus uh, at that Passover, that final Passover before his death, he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Yeah, you may have heard your pastor read that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church family. Yeah. Um, and so, that's what it's referring to. Yeah, so the new covenant, <laughs> it was inaugurated. It began with the shedding of Christ's blood. And, and that's really interesting because when you go back to the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus 24, um, the the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, it was inaugurated. It was officially put into place with the sprinkling of blood you know, on the altar, uh, symbolizing God's part in the covenant, and then on the people right. it was sprinkled. Um, but here it is Christ's blood that, that, that institutes this new covenant that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And Paul also, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 25, said, um, he referring to Christ's word says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Right. So um, the new covenant was uh, specifically promised to Israel and Judah, uh, and it was it was inaugurated. Uh, it began with the shedding of Christ's blood. This new covenant uh, took place. It was started. Um, but we see here the new covenant is uh, fulfilled. It has its outworking in Christ's church. Right. So, so Christ is the one who fulfills all of these covenant promises. We're connected to him. Um, and so we get the, the benefits. We're the recipients of the new covenant. Um, just because we're getting to the end of our time here, can you kind of uh, bullet point? I know this could be a whole nother discussion, um, but maybe just kind of run through some ideas of how um, this actually plays out. How is um, it fulfilled in the Christ, in Christ church? <laughs> yeah, because uh, some people will say, well, the new covenant was given to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So, so how is this being played out uh, in the church? Right. Um, and what we have, what we do have to see is is kind of what you already said just now is that Christ fulfills all of the covenant promises. So. Uh, Christ is the uh, uh, he is the the image bearer that that uh, God had established man to be. Uh, God uh, God brought about his people Israel to be a light to the nations. In the Old Testament, it refers to to Jesus who who is pictured as the the ideal Israel that Jesus. Uh, does what Israel was called to do. And therefore, as we get to this new covenant, that all of those, whether Jew or Gentile, who are connected to Christ by faith, uh, by being connected to Christ, who fulfills all of these covenants, that through our connection to Christ, even as Gentiles, we become recipients of the new covenant. Because the new covenant... Uh, finds its fulfillment in Christ, and because we are connected to Christ, we are now a part of this new covenant. Okay, so give us some specific examples of that then. Uh, the one one that pops into my mind is one that you just mentioned, um, Jew and Gentile coming together um, into one body. Yeah, um, uh, a, couple, a couple instances here that we, that we kind of gain some light on this is in Ephesians 2, uh, I won't read all of it, but specifically verses 11 to 22. Uh, verse 11 says, Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision mm -hmm. by what is called the circumcision. So we were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision, who were, were the Jews. Uh, um, but then he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then, of course, it goes on to expound on that. But we see in the New Testament that because of our connection to Christ, we are the circumcised. Mm -hmm. That the circumcision is no longer simply something that is external, it is internal. In fact, that's the sign of the new covenant is, is an internal circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. And uh, because of that uh, circumcision of the heart, we see that Jew and Gentile are now one body. So the promise of the, of the new covenant that was given to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, um, even Gentiles who come to Christ are now considered uh, a part of God's people, of God's promised people. Yeah, doesn't Galatians refer to Gentiles now being a part of uh, the the sons of Abraham, part of that that promise to Abraham? Yeah, uh, through through Christ, uh, Gentiles are now the sons of Abraham. Galatians three verses six to nine, and Romans four verses nine to twelve talk about that. Um, we also Romans eleven, you know, talks about there were uh, two two olive trees. And um, the 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 wild all the wild olive branches were grafted in to this one olive tree that we that now Jews and Gentiles together experience the blessings of God's promises, the blessings of being connected uh, to the vine to Christ. Um, so so through our connection to Christ, we now enjoy and experience. Um, being a part of the new covenant blessings that have been promised. In fact, the new covenant, even in the Old Testament, it always envisioned that Gentile participation in the new covenant. That, again, like God promised Abraham, universal blessing. And um, that Israel would bring a blessing to the world. And that's fulfilled in Christ, that all who come to Christ are now blessed uh, with the blessings of the new covenant. So even that was, was, um, was hinted at and, and looked forward to um, in the Old Testament. I'm sure glad for that, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, amen to that. So, so all of this is why when we come to the book of Hebrews, and the book, uh, that the book of Hebrews speaks of the new covenant and, and speaks of the new covenant and the blessings of the new covenant specifically to the church, to Jews and Gentiles together. The book of Hebrews was a book written uh, pretty much mainly to uh, a, a Jewish audience, but it's written to the church, which is Jew and Gentile together. And that's why throughout the book of Hebrews in chapter 8 and chapter 10 and chapter 12, um, there is the reference to uh, the new covenant because the new covenant now is, is uh, applicable to Christ's church, which is composed of Jew and Gentile together. Yeah, and, and I think one of the most important um, elements of this too is thinking back way to the very first covenant, the covenant of creation and how Adam was set up as um, an image bearer supposed to be spreading God's glory to the world. And of course, um, we talked about how he failed at that. Um, but then the, the church now being that, that um, image bearer um, to the world of God's glory. First uh, Peter um, 2, 9 through 10, I think, talks about that beautifully. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, I love how he talks in verse 10 here. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, so God once again bringing um, the church together as his image bearers to now go and spread his glory um, to all ends of the earth, I think is, is a really great kind of almost bookend 
um, discussion from the very beginning to the very end, God's purposes have, have you know, come to fruition. Would you, uh, how would you kind of summarize, since we've spent so much time kind of really deep diving into a lot of these covenants, um, and let's say somebody's listened to, to all these episodes and they have a better understanding now of the covenants, um, could you just say maybe in a sentence or two um, how you think that that can directly apply to their reading and studying of scripture. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I can say anything in a <laughs> sentence or two. <laughs> um, I would say that in in kind of just summarizing these past 5 episodes and looking at these 6 covenants that um, that that uh, span the the entirety of scripture that uh, we need to understand these covenants, not simply uh, to know the facts about them, but we need to understand these covenants because it's in these covenants that they provide kind of the road signs as we read the scriptures. So knowing when you're reading a passage of scripture, okay, so I'm reading, um, I'm reading the prophets, I'm reading Isaiah, and what covenant are the people under at this point in time? Okay, they're under the Mosaic covenant. And uh, what what did God call Israel? Uh, who did he call them to be under this Mosaic covenant? And uh, how were the people obedient? What did God say would happen if they were faithful to the Mosaic covenant? What did God say that would happen if they were unfaithful? And, uh, and what... When they're when the prophets are pronouncing judgment on them, why does it keep going back and forth from judgment to promises of blessing? Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's that a new covenant that's being promised. So it, it's helping the the purpose of having a working understanding of these covenants is to help us to know where we're at in the Bible and to be able to to more in a I guess a clearer way be able to interpret what we're reading based upon knowing where we're at with the the specific covenants that each passage uh, is under. Kind of gives you that that purpose and maybe more focused to your reading, especially like you were mentioning when you get into some of those more difficult passages of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and um, you, you can get kind of lost in the weeds a little bit. Um, and so kind of having that... Uh, maybe flyover viewpoint of where am I? Let me get my bearings. Let me see how the story is unfolding. Um, really helps you kind of glean more from those passages um, than just getting kind of drowned by them. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think it just it presents us with a, just a grander view of Scripture. Yes. Every passage is truly important. Every passage has its place. And um, every passage is unfolding this grand story of redemption. It's revealing who God is. And and that's probably the second big reason for knowing the covenants Mm -hmm. is the covenants reveal God's character, that God is faithful to his promises. No matter how bad mankind messes it up, whether that was the world as a whole, whether that was uh, the nation of Israel, or whether even we under the new covenant, we didn't talk about this, um, and maybe we should have, and uh, we can't talk about it longer or else it'll extend this episode 20 <laughs> minutes. But the new covenant blessings are being realized today and now. Yes. There's an already aspect to it, but there's a not yet aspect. That's, that's the, the new covenant is going to be fully realized when Jesus returns. Right. And, and that's when the, the, the new covenant is going to reach, it, reach its, its high point, its culmination. Um, so even now, as as un- being recipients of the new covenant, we still struggle the battle with sin, the battle with uh, with living as uh, like Peter says, as sojourners and exiles, and and uh, um, we're we're trudging through the already not yet of God's uh, redemptive plans and promises. So um, the new covenant is going to one day reach its culmination, and we're kind of living in the middle of that tension of promises realized and promises still to come. 
<laughs> Good. We'll call that we'll call that one very long run-on summary sentence. Yeah. I was wondering why you were smiling at me as I kept going. No, I I think hopefully you can hear just the excitement and the passion that we both feel for knowing not only the covenants, but just knowing the word of God. And it just, um, you know, every time you think you've talked about everything, there's something else that you could talk more about. That is the, um, just the depths of scripture and um, the, the knowledge of God is just uh, too deep for our minds to ever be finished. So um, as you've been listening to these episodes on the covenants or any of the other episodes so far, um, there may have been things that we were unclear about, things that popped into your mind that maybe you never uh, knew about before, led to more questions in your mind, and we'd love to chat about those things with you. Uh, we find that very fun to talk about. So um, you can always head over to our website. Uh, that is knowandlovepodcast.com, and you'll see a contact form there. Uh, we are on Facebook, or you can email us at knowandlovepodcast at gmail.com. I hope I got that right. Um, yep. But you can um, shoot us an, an email, a message anytime with any more clarifications or, or questions that you have. Um, and now that we're done talking about the covenants, we only have a couple more episodes in this first season that we um, have uh, ready to go. Um, so our next episode, um, do you have any idea what the topic is on that? I, I can't remember. Yeah, we're gonna be head. we're gonna be. I think we only have two more uh, episodes, and uh, the next one's going to be uh, what are some helpful questions that we need to ask when we're um, studying the uh, a passage of scripture. Good. So hopefully that'll have some good practical takeaways for you. Yeah. And we would love to do a, a question and answer episode sometime in the future. So as Rachel said, be sure to uh, give us your questions and feedback. And uh, that's it for, for today. So we pray that you would be filled with the love and peace of Christ. You've been listening to the Know and Love podcast with Adam and Rachel Pereira. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on any of the apps that you use for your podcast listening, like iTunes or Spotify. That way, when the next episode drops, you'll be able to have it automatically on your device. Also, make sure to contact us with any questions or feedback on our website, knowandlovepodcast.com. We love hearing from you because it helps us shape the direction and the content of any future episodes.